Preston in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon. I'm glad you're joining me today. We've got two hours to talk about the things that matter most. And I think yesterday I mentioned we were we had planned to have uh, Dr. Matthew Bunsen with us in the second hour of today's program. Unfortunately, he won't be able to join us. Uh, but in that second hour, we're going to be uh, taking time to listen to... Uh, former Marine Corps guard Rocky Sickman, you realize it's November 4th of 1979. That was the Iranian hostage crisis. So here we are uh, on the anniversary, and I thought it might be good to hear from Rocky, who joined me uh, a while back. He spent 444 days in captivity there. So he was, uh, as you remember, the Iranian students stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. So he's joining us in the second hour of today's program. And then we're going to talk about uh, St. Charles Borromeo, model bishop, holy reformer. I'll tell you, St. Charles Borromeo makes me feel small. Uh, He lived only 46 years. (laughs) He accomplished more during his brief life than most Catholics do who live twice his age. Um... He was the nephew of Pius IV and was instrumental in the completion of the Council of Trent. His feast day is tomorrow, and so I thought it would be good to bring him before us. In the first hour of today's program, a big question, what does Hamas want? And this is something which in in some ways is, is so obvious. If you just go to the Hamas charter, right in paragraph two, this is the 1988 charter, there's a 2017 revision, but it's very clear they exist to lead to the obliteration of Israel. Uh, it, it's not hard to, uh, to get that point. Uh, if you listen to the terrorists, even, uh, they'll tell you what they want. We're going to talk to Dr. Ronan Choval. He was in synagogue on the morning of October 7th when his rabbi stopped the prayers and began to weep, announcing that a war had just broken out in Israel with at least 100 people dead, and uh, it soon became clear that the numbers were much higher. Uh, he uh, got his doctorate in Jewish political thought uh, in, from Paris West University, and he's going to be joining us. He's a visiting fellow uh, at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, so he'll be with us, talk about his experience of Israel, and then we're going to be talking to longtime colonist uh, Mo- Mona Cheren, who has much to offer about uh how to look upon this barbaric uh, hostility against the nation Israel. But first, let's get today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Friday, November 3rd, it's the Feast of St. Martin de Pours. Today's news brought to you by the Ave Maria family of funds at AveMariaFunds.com. The White House isn't supporting a general ceasefire in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. 
Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre. Now is not the time for a permanent ceasefire. We've been very clear. Uh, it, would, it would benefit Hamas, uh, given, the, given them uh, time to regroup and plot a new attack uh, or new attacks and uh, support, we support humanitarian pauses. The Biden administration, however, has pushed for temporary humanitarian pauses in the fighting to allow aid into Gaza and the release of hostages. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he will not consider a pause in the fighting in Gaza unless Hamas releases the more than 200 hostages it's currently holding captive. Jurors have found FTX founder Sam Bankman freed guilty on seven federal counts of fraud and conspiracy. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams. Sam Bankman fried perpetrated one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. A multi-billion dollar scheme designed to make him the king of crypto. The trial took over a month, but the jury deliberated for only four hours. Bankman fried faces more than 100 years in prison and will be sentenced in March of 2024. The United Auto Workers is pushing for Toyota employees to join the union after their strike against the Detroit 3 automakers resulted in 25% pay hikes. UAW President Sean Fain says Toyota's pay raises announced this week are a direct result of their deals with Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. And the Biden administration plans to announce that it will send $425 million in military aid to Ukraine. According to Reuters, the package will include counter-drone rockets and munitions. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Uh, we're going to be joined a little bit later today uh, by a columnist, Mona Charon. Uh, she leads off one column with something I wanted to, to share with you right away before I say a few words. Quote, if there's one thing that we've learned about our culture in the age of social media, it's that we have the memories of goldfish. Our critical faculties have atrophied as we consume clips of information, mostly visual, packaged to appeal to our lizard brains. We are forever in the moment, end quote. I think this is just self-evidently true, and it's one reason why important moments we should return to time and again. And October 7th was an important moment. Uh, I think we're going to see it'll be long remembered. And like many of you, I've been watching Israel's attempt to ferret out the Hamas leadership in Gaza. And we're seeing mounting civilian deaths. Uh, tragic. With these civilian deaths, we're hearing growing accusations that Israel is as immoral as the Hamas barbarians of October 7th. This is a false equivalence that ignores the historic Western distinction between combatants and non-combatants. Hamas targets non-combatants. Israel does not. Many residents of Gaza are losing their lives because Hamas buries its military assets in civilian hospitals, schools, residential homes. In other words, Hamas is willing to not only kill Israeli civilians, but it's willing to shield their military assets behind their own civilians. In other words, Hamas will not only sacrifice Jews, they'll sacrifice their own residents of Gaza, the Palestinians for whom they claim they're fighting. It's a sad fact of 20th and now 21st century war that uh, there's a growing percentage of war debt with each war. Uh, Non-combatants only made up about 15 to 17 percent of the war dead in World War One. In World War Two, it bumped up to 50 percent. 
Now uh, we're operating at about 70% of the war dead who are non-combatants. And a few factors are responsible. But one important moral uh, factor is the acceptance of what is now called total war. Total war looks upon the enemy nation as a war machine. And even civilians are cogs in that war machine. And therefore, they become legitimate targets. The Catholic faith stands against this drift toward total war. No matter who's practicing it, it insists on the protection of non-combatants. At the same time, we know that this is a messy and fallen world. And in the fog of war, circumstances often make it impossible to protect all non-combatants. Civilian deaths are often foreseen, but not because civilians are targeted. We're seeing this play out in Gaza with the rise of the civilian deaths, the numbers. Predictably, student protesters, activist professors, careless journalists, and a few U.S. Congresswomen are claiming that because Hamas and Israel kill civilians, they are equally immoral in their wartime behavior. I'll say it again, because I can't say it enough. The moral difference between those who target babies, pregnant women, and the elderly and those who unintentionally kill civilians while defending themselves against barbarian aggressors, is the difference between night and day. One engages in murder, the other in self-defense. Here's another point I can't repeat enough. This is not about the Palestinian cause. The Palestinians have been poorly served by usually corrupt, incompetent, and now with Hamas, barbaric leadership. I just watched a grieving Palestinian woman uh, alternating between shouting and sobbing, quote, all this is because of the dogs of Hamas, end quote. Those surrounding her knew that her protest could lead to her death, so they're hastily trying to cover her mouth to silence her. It's a, it's a moving video. See, the Hamas took power in 2007. Since then, it's violently repressed all opposition, and there's much to repress. Uh, experts are somewhat disagreed about how the Palestinian people view Hamas. But there is recent Palestinian survey data indicating that most Gazans distrust Hamas, want an alternative government, and prefer economic development over war. But their individual voices are rarely heard. Those who speak out face prison and torture. An NGO called Center for Peace Communications has been helping Gazans break through this communications blackout. They stealthily interview Gazan Palestinians from all walks of life about their travails and about their aspirations. You'll hear a mother who dreams of her children getting a proper education, a photojournalist who is punished for taking pictures, a young couple who hopes to start a family outside of Gaza. And earlier this year, Center for Peace Communications released a series called Whispered in Gaza, 25 short segments using video animation uh, to protect their identities. Uh, They also wove into the presentation polling results from Gaza, uh, rights reports, and and journalistic reporting. These men and women don't believe that barbarism helps the Palestinian cause in Gaza. And it shouldn't surprise us. Terrorism has been used time and again to promote the Palestinian cause. What have been the results? Failure. Do you remember the Munich Olympics 51 years ago, 1972? 
when the terrorist group Black September kidnapped and killed Israeli athletes about 40 miles from Dachau, the site of the first of the Nazi concentration camps. Years later, a surviving Black September terrorist boasted of his pride in the role he played. Why? Because, he said, it drew attention to the Palestinian cause. And so you ask, well, where are the Palestinians 51 years later? In Gaza, they're under the thumb of Hamas. Terrorism hasn't achieved peace, prosperity, or a flourishing society. All terrorism does is persuade the watching world that the terrorists may well be savages who lack the moral compass to negotiate in good faith or civilized diplomacy. I mean, earlier today, Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, actually praised Hamas's October 7th attack as heroic. What kind of society, education system, religion, family, forms people who praise the intrinsic moral evil of targeting toddlers, raping women, and defiling the bodies of the elderly as heroic? Last week I mentioned the documentary Promises, which follows seven Israeli and Palestinian late elementary school children. The movie's well done by a non-religious Jewish filmmaker, and at one point, one of the most articulate and winsome of the Palestinian boys says he can't wait to grow up so that he can kill Jews. The filmmaker had the good sense to reveal to the boy that, in fact, he, the filmmaker, was Jewish. The poor boy is visibly startled. At first, he doesn't believe him. He thinks it's a joke. And then you can see his mind churning to try to make sense of his fondness for the filmmaker, but now knowing that he's a vile beast of a Jew. The movie ends with a modest but promising and edifying conclusion, uh, just to let you know. Now, after October 7th, though, I wonder if that child's boasts of wanting to kill Jews was just boyhood bravado, or did it turn out to be a well-considered career choice? Maybe he grew out of it as he encountered the wider world. But maybe he became that Hamas terrorist who recorded himself calling his father and triumphantly announcing, Father, I killed ten Jews. Check your WhatsApp. I sent you the photos, Father. I killed ten Jews. I killed ten Jews with my bare hands. Check your WhatsApp, Father. Be proud of me. What kind of family culture creates a young man proud of slaughtering weak, unarmed children? What kind of stories was he told growing up that made such evil acts appear heroic? What stories of grievance were drilled into him, justifying these reprehensible acts? What kind of religious catechesis about the nature of the human person encouraged such barbarism? We should try to answer this question uh, by reading the Hamas Charter of 1988 and its revision of 2017, because there you have the organization's statement of purpose. Unfortunately, Westerners don't really bother to read these foundational documents. The American journalist William Shire, who published uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich back in 1960, made a very relevant observation which applies here. Quote, Not every German who bought a copy of Mein Kampf necessarily read it, but it might be argued that had more non-Nazi Germans read it before 1933, and had the foreign statesmen of the world perused it carefully while there was still time, both Germany and the world might have been saved from catastrophe. End quote. Let me take a moment here to look at the 1988 Hamas Charter. 
Right in the second paragraph, Hamas states its reasons for existence. Obliterate Israel. Quote, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. By the way, Hamas means Islamic resistance movement. But it's not just the nation state of Israel that Hamas longs to destroy in this 1988 charter. Jews themselves as individuals must be destroyed. Here's a quote. The day of judgment will not come until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews, when the Jew will hide behind stones and trees, the stones and trees will say, Oh Muslims, oh Abdullah, there's a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. End quote. Comparisons with the Holocaust are dangerous. But we do know that Muslim leaders in Israel-Palestine looked to Hitler for help. The former Mufti of Jerusalem, an Arab nationalist, prominent Muslim religious leader, met with Hitler in Germany in the Reich Chancellery. The Mufti and the Fuhrer agreed on one thing. The removal, quote, removal of the proposed Jewish homeland in Palestine. Hitler confirmed that, quote, the struggle against the Jewish homeland in Palestine would be part of Germany's struggle against the Jews. And then he promised the Mufti that he would, quote, continue the struggle until the complete destruction of the Jewish communist European empire. Hitler even promised to signal Arab leaders when they should rise up and help him eliminate Jews. The goal would be the annihilation of Jewry living in Arab space. So, what is the aim of Hamas? <laughs> it is obvious. We know from its leaders, we know from the terrorists that are willing to kill infants. They want to obliterate the nation-state of Israel. By any means necessary. They have no respect for the moral law, natural law. They are barbarians. At K. Roos Jewelry, you're more than a number. Tony K. Roos, a master diamond setter with 45 years of experience, will take the time to listen to your jewelry design idea and work to create the perfect custom engagement ring, anniversary gift, or even do complex repairs. You can expect heirloom quality jewelry that will shine for generations to come. Visit K. Roos Jewelry at 504 Main Street in Belleville next to T-Mobile or call 734-444-2323. This program brought to you by the following nonprofit company. From a firm films comes Journey to Bethlehem. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. Can we? Can we? Look at the star. This is it. Do you truly believe that this child is the chosen one? What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere, November 10th. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Light of the East, weekends on Ave Maria Radio. 
I am Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, I hear the echoes of the coming Christmas season, and it presents us with not only a spirit of gift, but also of saints and angels to focus upon in our preparation. Now on Ave Maria Radio's newest FM stations, 105.5 FM in Southfield and 107.9 FM in Ann Arbor. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. This week on Christ is the Answer, Father John breaks open the Theology of the Body. The Theology of the Body's books and teachings were developed from five years' worth of homilies from Pope St. John Paul II. He preached about the dignity and beauty of our physical form, the image of God reflected in our very existence. Join us this week as Father John shows us the glory in our creation, as well as how to read the Bible. Tune in for Christ is the Answer, Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Dr. Roland Cheval is the Dean of the Israel Tikva Fund and head of the Argamon Institute. He's a visiting fellow in Jewish and political thought at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and is a member of the James Madison Program at Princeton, where he taught politics. Uh, he has served in the Israeli Defense Forces for three years and then an additional 22 years in the reserves, including recently. Uh, he's been serving as a soldier in defense of the state of Israel. And, uh, Dr. Shovel, good to have you with me. Thank you. Thank you so much, so much for inviting me. I understand that you just returned from Israel? Uh, yes, this morning. I got a short uh, uh, relief. Um, so I came here to visit my family. And uh, probably going to be back in the IDF in the next uh, 10 days or so. Wow. I, help us, help us uh, get a feel for what it's like to be under siege in Israel right now and in, in the kind of work that you're doing? Uh, I think that in times of, uh, of crisis, um, it's also an opportunity to see the good of, of human, human heart. Mm-hmm. And you can have a, you have a huge feeling of, of uni- unity inside of uh, 
in, in the people of Israel right now. And um, the spirit is, is, is high, um, even though we have about, I don't know, a half, a quarter of a million refugees right now inside our country that had to leave their houses from the north and from the south. Mm. Um, for example, my parents are inviting the family to live with us. Um, and that's a common thing. So it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, even though it's, it's really, really hard to live in this situation when people are trying to bomb you and, and kill you and your family, mm. there's still a huge hope and, and, and the belief in, in the good of, uh, of the human nature. Um, was uh, the barbarian massacre of October 7th, uh, as much a shock, uh, to Israel as it was to those of us in the United States? Well, um, I think for the left in Israel, the political left, it was a, it was a shock. Um, basically, the political the, the people were tend to be perceived as more as a, as a uh, conservative, perceived it as something that might be potential happen mm-hmm. because we didn't deceived ourselves regarding the, the nature of our enemies. Um, and nevertheless, I think that uh, in terms of uh, uh, what happened, of course, it was a, a huge um, um, misconception of the army, which led to this um, terrible, terrible uh, <laughs> behavior, which I, I can't even uh, start to, to explain. Maybe I'll just give you... Um, in a personal level, my brother lost nine of, nine of his friends. So um, wow. I think about this as uh, 9-11 times, um, I think eight times in Israel. So everyone knows somebody who who, who, who were murdered. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, 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 hard. it's hard. And in the psychology level of families, it's, it's terrible because for years we've been, you know, when the Hamas were... Um, shooting missiles on families and kindergarten and so on. We have those shelters where people were just going inside those shelters. And uh, now what happened is that when they came to those shelters, and shelter is supposed to be a safe place. Um, so I just heard a, a story from from uh, a mother uh, who who decided to take a knife to the shelter um, with her kids. That in the case that the Hamas will come again, she will she will actually slaughter her kids and not let the Hamas uh, terrorists to do it because yeah. it's it's that that's the situation. So it's you a can fate a fate worse than death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that is hard to hear. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's, and I, sorry, my, my mom my 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 mom bought a letter so she can climb to the roof. Oh. <laughs> it's, we're joking, but that's the reality. It's no, terrible. It, it, it's, it is. Psychology level, it's terrible. I, it's, it look, I look around and I see protests on uh, American campuses. I see protests and I see people trying to draw a moral equivalence between Israel and Hamas here. And I'm absolutely baffled that they can't see the moral distinction between targeting toddlers, uh, raping women, defiling uh, uh, the elderly, and defending uh, one's homeland. 
did you have any suggestion how that moral distinction has been lost among at least nominally educated people? Um, well, I think the, the the lack of ability of of distinguishing between good and bad as as you know um, an outcome of 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 postmodern world, um, which the absence of God. Uh, Creates a reality where everybody thinks that he knows the the, the what is moral mm-hmm. better than his friend, yeah. and therefore uh, we have to. I think what happens what happens right now inside universities is the woke ideology, which doesn't think about your claims um, and your behaviors, but only see the 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 race or or uh, other factors. And actually, if you are you're claiming regarding whose moral is better based on race, that's um, it's hard to say, but that that's, that was the, the Nazis' conceptions of, yeah. of of good and bad. Yep. So I think uh, we have a moral obligation to raise the next generation in a better way that we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, agreed. I I read your column. Uh, uh, after the horror uh, resolve is what it was named from i guess ethics and public policy center and uh, you you had a detail in here that i'd not heard before you you mentioned that after, in the aftermath of october 7th you received a message that you never thought you would get and this message was that quote we are looking for breastfeeding mothers who can breastfeed the orphans and the babies of the mothers who were kidnapped into gaza uh, children as young as one month were abducted and held in chicken cages. So um, we now know that we have uh, 240 um, um, civilians who were kidnapped to, to Gaza. Um, and we have about, um, I don't want to give it, I think it's about 20 or 25 kids uh, in the age of um, still breastfeeding, and, and they are um, lost both the mother and, per- and, and father. So, um, um, yeah, um, this was a message I received, and, uh, um, uh, and, and this is the kind of, of brutality that we are facing. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I'll just tell you one one story, which Please. Uh, it's hard to. I'm not talking about only the beheaded of of, of, of babies, but they actually took a woman, um, uh, a young Jewish woman. She, she was pregnant, and they opened her 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 belly and took the the the, 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 the unborn baby from her her her, her moon and, and 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 slaughtered him as well, yeah. uh, and and. It's. It's. I think this is something which is hard for us, as Judeo-Christian uh, culture, to understand uh, that some civilization. It, it's hard for us to, to grasp this kind of brutality, um, this kind of of uh, enjoying death. So think about the Nazis when they did those things during the Holocaust. They they hide it for a long, long time. Um, those people from the Hamas, the ISIS Hamas, I don't know how to call them, but they actually celebrated it. Yeah, um, and publicly, they, they right. Used, publicly used GoPro cameras. 
um, we we record uh, phone calls. You know, they were using, they were calling to their to their parents, and they were celebrating unmarried ten Jews and so on. So it's really hard for us um, to even grasp the fact that um, um, you can celebrate death um, and, and enjoy it, uh, and, and it's um, to change this reality from the ground because. In order that uh, Germany and, and Japan would be able, and Italy would be able to come back to the to be a nation which which modern nations uh, they had to be defeated, and only after you defeat the evil, uh, only after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and only after Dresden, and complete destruction of evil. You can have, you can rebuild again right. a society of human society, which 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 see the values in in in, in a certain way. But um, this is where I say that our challenge right now that the some of the voices are are in the West are you know I don't know they're not trying to see the reality as it is and and are looking for uh, <laughs> some kind of ceasefire. But if you want to help um, civilization. You have to defeat the the, the, the evil yeah. and let opportunities for the goods in human nature to to appear. Otherwise, uh, that's 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 not for only you know Hamas is not just for us. You have it. It's it's starting all over the world, and we have to wake up and 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 see the reality as it is, and face evil and win it. Yeah, yeah. I there's there's no way to negotiate with uh, people uh, like Hamas. I mean. Uh, they they're basically persuading the watching world that they may well be savages who lack the moral compass to negotiate in good faith. So how do you you know what I'm saying? I mean, how how would you trust any negotiation with a party that commits these acts of barbarism and also is formally on record? Uh, refusing to acknowledge your nation's right to exist. What kind of conversation can you have with a group like that? So you, I don't know if you had the chance to see the interview of, of the foreign minister of Hamas um, in Al Jazeera, where he said, we are very proud of this massacre, and we will do it again and again and again. Yeah, and I again. did see it. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, it's sometimes people are, try to say that there is an uh, Israeli-Arab conflict. We don't have a conflict. They want to kill us, and we refuse to die. (laughs) 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 Okay? Uh, It's very simple. uh, You know, Golda Meir once said that the day that the Arab would would stop killing us, we'll have a peace. And it's still still, uh, true as it it was 50 years ago. Mm. And, And I think that Will happen in Dr. Chevelle, we, we have to, unfortunately we're out of time. Uh, yeah. Thanks for joining me today. I hope we can talk in the future. Thank you so much. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic Healthcare Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health sharing option. Kiro's Christ-centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com. 
where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Hello, I'm Adora Kassab Ibrahim, broker and owner of Lighthouse Real Estate Group. I would love to guide you with your real estate needs, both residential and commercial. As a family-owned business, I always have your family's best interests at heart. Allow my 25 years of experience to serve you. Please call me today at 248-210-8229 and visit our website, lighthouse-reg.com. That's lighthouse-reg.com. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, weekdays on Ave Maria Radio. So many people call themselves Christian, call themselves Catholic, call themselves Evangelical, whatever, and they're nothing more than members of the Church of What's Happening Now, as Slip Wilson used to say. You want direction, you want guidance, go to the source. Go to Jesus, go to Scripture, go to the Church teachings. Not to Whoopi Goldberg, not to, and we pray for her, but Nancy Pelosi's version of Catholicism or Joe Biden's version of Catholicism or any other politician that holds fast to their quote-unquote Catholic faith, yet consistently, consistently and blatantly not just speaks against the church, but acts against the church. We need to pray for these people, and we need to encourage bishops to stand up for the truth and not be afraid. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, weekday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. St. John Bosco once had a heavenly vision telling him to reject harsh approaches to discipline and instead raise the children in his care with reason, religion, and loving kindness. Today, we call his method discipleship discipline. It's a means of child rearing that doesn't just focus on stopping bad behavior, but rather helps parents raise faithful kids who love God and lead virtuous Christian lives. Discipleship discipline is great for kids, but it also helps parents experience and share God's love more effectively with their families. That's why discipleship discipline is such an important part of the liturgy of domestic church life, a way of experiencing the faith as the source of the warmth in your home. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. In your home, driving your car, or at your business, glass is an essential part of your world. Glass Doctor offers its high-quality workmanship to all areas of your life. Find peace of mind with the premium experts in glass solutions. No matter the project or product, our standard is safety always. Because there is nothing more important than what's behind the glass of your business, car, or home. Glass Doctor, a neighborly company. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now is Mona Charon. She's a syndicated columnist, policy editor for The Bulwark, uh, host of the Beg to Differ podcast, and you can follow her on Twitter 
at Mona Charon, that's C-H-A-R-E-N, and we'll have uh, it listed for you on our website as well. Mona, thanks for joining me today. I have long enjoyed your columns, but I don't think we've ever had the chance to talk. No, but it's delightful to meet you, or at least uh, hear you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Um, is October 7th going to be remembered as one of those uh, dates in history uh, that serves as a watershed? History is going to go in a different direction as a result. So I do think it will uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but first, I should note that there is a tremendous amount of effort uh, on the part of many uh, Hamas apologists and many uh uh, people on the far left in uh, in this country and around the world uh, to simply ignore or erase what happened on October 7th mm-hmm. or to contextualize it and somehow justify yep. and say we have to understand that this is the result of decades of oppression and so forth. Um, and, and that kind of um, moral obtuseness, that kind of double standard where if, it's, if you're killing and maiming and, and dismembering Jews, then it's something that can be justified. But if it happens to anybody else, it's a war crime. That is an unsustainable moral mm-hmm. position. Um, mm-hmm. But I will tell you that I um, have noticed a shift among some people on the left. I think this has opened up a serious, um, a serious breach mm-hmm. uh, in uh, on the left among people, some of them Jewish, uh, but not all of them, who are appalled to discover that there are people that they thought of as allies yeah. who uh, were not who were not uh, appalled uh, by the by the the, the, the savagery of, and the and the horror of October 7th, but we're, um, we're kind of okay with it, and we're certainly more critical of Israel for defending herself than they were of Hamas for the initial um, attack. It, it, it stuns me to see this. I mean, the, there's a, a massive moral difference between targeting noncombatants, all right, and in the fog of war, killing noncombatants. One's a form of murder. Another is a tragic consequence of self-defense. I don't think that's hard yes. to understand, but many no, on the left I, are ignoring it. They are utterly ignoring it. I want to say to these people, you know, do you recognize how many innocent civilians were killed by the Union Army in our Civil War? <laughs> um, right. You know, Many, many, and, and, and does that mean that this was illegitimate, that they should have paused, that they should have stopped the war because, right. you know, in the process, civilians were killed? That is what war is. That is why an unprovoked war, the way Hamas uh, attacked Israel, is, you know, it's, it's a crime uh, to, to start a war that way. But you cannot, I mean, the rule of life cannot be, the rule of international relations cannot be that if you are a terrorist government or a terrorist group that controls a piece of territory, there are no rules that apply to the tactics that you use. You can commit any crime. But then if you hide among your own civilians, then a, 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 Western, a, 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 um, a, a law-abiding power, a power that wants to abide by the rule of law, um, cannot respond. 
Yeah. Well, if that is the rule, then pretty soon the world is just going to consist of regimes like Hamas right. because it gives them carte blanche to do what they want. Then they hide among their own civilians and you know, Israel or any uh, freedom-loving and rule-abiding country cannot respond. That just, that cannot be the rule. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, this is, I think, the vitally important point that you make, and that is here, here you have Hamas, which has uh, shielded its military assets in schools, hospitals, residential homes, and um, are using uh, the citizens of Gaza uh, as shields, which mean that they're not only willing to sacrifice Jews, they're actually willing to sacrifice the very people they're supposed to be fighting for. And That's exactly right. That yeah. is exactly right. And, and you know, I said in, a, in the first column that I wrote on uh, October 8th, I said, Hamas makes war on Israeli civilians and Palestinian yeah. civilians. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what they do. Um, and, and it is, it is not also, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, they want a state of their own. That's what this is about, the two-state solution. No, no. There are Palestinians who want a two-state solution. Right. And there are many well-intentioned people and, and honest, good people who want the Palestinians to have a state of their own. I want the Palestinians to have a state of their own. Sure. But, but, but that is not what Hamas wants. Hamas is is a is an islamist jihadist group that wants to kill as many jews as possible and wants to obliterate israel you know people chant from the river to the sea <laughs> and they don't even know what they're saying yeah. because what that calls for the river they're talking about is of course the jordan and the sea is the mediterranean well what lies between the river and the sea the state of israel right. and so what it contemplates is at least massive ethnic cleansing of 10 million people, including a million Arabs, um, uh, Arab Israelis, mm -hmm. um, or, or it contemplates, and nobody, after 10-7, nobody can say that it's crazy to imagine that what they really want is mass annihilation right. of, of right. Jews yeah. and Israelis. It's, it is, again, something that we, I think, many of us thought was in the past, um, yeah. and that is this hate, irrational, reflexive hatred of the Jewish people. I mean, this is not even about the state of Israel. I mean, it is about the state of Israel, but there's also a, a hatred of the Jewish people that shows up here. I mean, in paragraph yeah. two of the, the 1988 uh, charter. It says uh, the reason for ex Hamas's reason for existence is to obliterate Israel. But also in that 88 charter, there's also the talk about killing Jews, uh, individual Jews. Uh, the later charter, the 2017 charter, tries to avoid sounding quite so uh, barbaric. But even there, mm -hmm. they they make this equation. They say they try to distinguish anti-Zionism from anti-Semitism. But mm -hmm. no, that doesn't work uh, in even the yeah, 2017 I mean, charter. That's right. It doesn't work. And, you know, people people get very touchy if you say that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And they say, well, there are some, some Jews who are anti-Zionist. And there are on the very fringes of very, 
you know, certain sects of mm-hmm. Jews believe that you actually shouldn't have a Jewish state uh, because uh, it should only happen when the Messiah yeah. uh, comes. Okay, there is that view, but those people do not want to murder <laughs> Jews in past numbers. That's right. You know, and, um, uh, but the fact is that when you look at many of the people who call themselves anti-Zionists and claim that they are not anti-Semites, what are they doing? They are, they are painting stars of David on the homes of Jewish people in Paris. Wow. They are harassing Jewish students at American universities. They are blocking uh, Jews uh, from, from uh, feeling safe at, at Cornell by um, posting hateful and threatening messages on social media. You know, that, what do those Jews in, in the United States, in Paris, in London, have to do with Zionism? Right. That is not anti-Zionism. That's just good old-fashioned anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was your column where you described a mob in Sydney, Australia, that had gathered to right. celebrate uh, October seventh, and they they were, they were crying, "Gas the Jews!" Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It is so horrifying. I mean, I for the last three weeks, I I have been a bit in a state of shock because. Of course, one knows that there is this kind of hatred out there, but in the face of the kind of atrocities that we saw Hamas commit, and if, if you want chapter and verse, I would recommend listening to what Anthony Blinken described about some of the things that were done. But if you have a weak stomach, don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, but it, you know, in the wake of something like that, where... The basics of just being a decent person and basic humanity, you would have thought would have made just pretty much everybody except for a few lunatics on this planet say, oh, my God, that is just atrocious. That is so awful. We sympathize, you know, so much with these Israeli people. And this is the sort of thing that cannot be, uh, you know, that no civilized country could ever tolerate and so on. And instead... I mean, at a moment like that, to see people laughing yeah. and celebrating and putting pictures of paragliders on their flags. Oh, yes. as if, oh my God. I mean, uh, so I am still a little bit in shock. And it's, it's, it is a revival of this oldest hatred, this hatred of Jews that uh, even now, I mean, even though I was aware that it was up there, it still is shocking to yeah. me. It's still shocking. I saw a, a short video of uh, allegedly a Hamas woman shouting and sobbing back and forth and really uh, condemning Hamas. Do you have any idea how um, residents of Gaza uh, feel towards Hamas as their government? I don't have a good sense so of that. It's, you know, one of, one of the things that is so tragic about these situations is, you know, where people don't have any control. You know, they really, Palestinian civilians really are suffering, and it isn't their fault. It's that they live under a system where they have no say. So, you know, Hamas took power. There was a disputed election mm-hmm. in 2006. Uh, and then there was a short war between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, and Hamas took power. And they killed 300 
uh, members of the Palestinian Authority in the course of seizing power in Gaza. Okay, well, that was that's it. There hasn't been an election since then. Now, there was an opinion poll that was taken right, you know, before uh, 10-7, in which 62% of the residents of Gaza said that they wanted to maintain the ceasefire with Israel. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and a similar number said that they did not any longer want to be ruled by Hamas, that wow. they would prefer to be ruled by the Palestinian Authority, which is also corrupt, but yeah. not nearly as terrible as, yeah. as Hamas. But they don't, there was, there's never been another election. Yeah. And so they are, you know, they are victims of, of their own very evil and, and crazed leaders who, who have, you know, this, this maniacal desire um, to do something, to destroy Israel, which is not possible, you know, right. and, and only leads to more suffering for everyone. And, uh, and, you know, they are not susceptible of reason either. Um, so it is, it is very tragic for the, for the Palestinian people. They are the worst-led people on the planet, yeah. one could say. Uh, it, you know, this is, uh, you hear people saying that at least they have the world's attention now for the Palestinian cause. Well, I, I happened to come across the documentary one day in September about the Munich um, kidnapping and killing, and the one surviving uh, terrorist from 1972 said that he was proud that his move, his kidnapping and killing of the Jewish athletes, brought the Palestinian cause to the world's attention. That's 51 years ago. It doesn't sound to me like this is a very effective strategy for getting justice for the Palestinians. Well, that's right. And and the other thing is, you know, there is this, I mean, this crazy inverted attention to anything that concerns Israel. You know, there are, so there were 300,000 civilians killed in Syria in its civil war. Yeah. But we never hear about them. The world's attention is not riveted on them no, or true. on, you know, so many other, the Rohingya in Burma. Yeah. You know, we, we Mona, the music has just on. cutting us off here, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> Thanks. We'll talk again. <laughs> you don't have to be a doctor, a dentist, or a licensed counselor to help people suffering without insurance get the health care they need. Hope Clinic partners with you to bring all of these services and more to those who wouldn't be able to access them any other way. Live out your faith by making lives better. Pray, donate, volunteer, or give at thehopeclinic.org. Ave Maria Radio, now on the FM, 105.5 in Southfield and 107.9 in Ann Arbor. When did Jesus reveal the existence of the Holy Spirit? Though the Lord alluded to the Spirit in speaking to Nicodemus and to the Samaritan woman, the Catholic Catechism tells us Jesus did not fully reveal the Holy Spirit until he himself had been glorified through his death and resurrection. Little by little, nevertheless, Jesus did also refer to the Holy Spirit, even when teaching to the multitudes, as when he says his own flesh will be food for the life of the world. When the hour for his glorification arrives, Jesus actually promises the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth, the other paraclete, says the Catechism, will be given by the Father in answer to Jesus' prayer. 
he will be sent by the Father in Jesus' name. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. When I heard other business owners say they finally found someone in the credit card industry they can trust, I wondered how he could help me. So when Mark from Schistler CPC offered to show me where all the money goes for credit card processing with a free analysis of my business, I jumped on it. He reviewed how the industry works, where we could save, and offered a no-contract guarantee on savings and excellent customer service. I'm saving thousands of dollars a year. Schistler CPC. Trust in them. More information available on the Ave Maria website under Sponsor Business Directory. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. You know, imagine um, what might have been if the residents of Gaza had focused on building their own society instead of making war on their neighbor. They did have autonomy. They had international support from Iran, uh, Qatar, Turkey, and others. They could have developed the economy. They could have encouraged tourism. They could have invested in education. Does anyone really think that Israel would have attacked Gaza? if Gazans had dedicated themselves to peaceful actions for the past 16 years? No. A flourishing free Gaza would have been a signal to wary Israelis that a two-state solution might really be possible. The whole region would probably look entirely different these days. But right now, it's at war. From the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Glad you're joining me for this hour. Uh, Let me lead off, though, with some congratulations. Uh, Longtime member of the EWTN Radio family, Pox at Bonham Radio, serving Albany, Saratoga Springs, Hudson, Cherry Valley, New York. They're now 13 years with EWTN. And uh, I want to just thank Tom and Laura Threlkeld and their team there at WOPG AM and FM from all your friends here at EWTN. During this hour, I'm going back. We've had to make a change in programming. So I'm going back to an interview I did two years ago with uh, former Marine Corps guard Rocky Sickman. Uh, We've talked so much uh, about the aftermath of October 7th and the ongoing uh, struggle to release, find and release hostages. Well, Rocky was um, 444 days in captivity. He was there uh, at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, November 4th, 1979, when 52 U.S. citizens were taken hostage. Uh, a group of militarized Iranian college students just stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran uh, under the illusion that they were attacking a a ring of spies. Um, (laughs) For all the ripping apart they did there, uh, they never did find a ring of spies. They found basically a bureaucratic uh, embassy. So Rocky's going to join us sharing his story, and then we're going to take time uh, to hear of St. Charles Borromeo, a model bishop, uh, really a, a holy reformer, and he only lived 46 years, 
uh, he accomplished an extraordinary amount. And so I, I'd like to get a sense for this man's uh, achievement. He lived in turbulent times, and he was the nephew of Pius IV and had much to do with the completion of the Council of Trent. His feast day is tomorrow. So I thought, yeah, let's go and take a listen to a profile of St. Charles Borromeo. So stay with me. Right now, though, it's the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Friday, November 3rd, it's the Feast of St. Martin de Pours. Today's news brought to you by the Ave Maria family of funds at AveMariaFunds.com. The White House isn't supporting a general ceasefire in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. Now is not the time for a permanent ceasefire. We've been very clear. Uh, it, would, it would benefit Hamas, uh, given, the, given them uh, time to regroup and plot a new attack uh, or new attacks. And uh, support, we support humanitarian pauses. The Biden administration, however, has pushed for temporary humanitarian pauses in the fighting to allow aid into Gaza and the release of hostages. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he will not consider a pause in the fighting in Gaza unless Hamas releases the more than 200 hostages it's currently holding captive. Jurors have found FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried guilty on seven federal counts of fraud and conspiracy. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams. Sam Bankman-Fried perpetrated one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. A multi-billion dollar scheme designed to make him the king of crypto. The trial took over a month, but the jury deliberated for only four hours. Bankman Fried faces more than 100 years in prison and will be sentenced in March of 2024. The United Auto Workers is pushing for Toyota employees to join the union after their strike against the Detroit Three automakers resulted in 25% pay hikes. UAW President Sean Fain says Toyota's pay raises announced this week are a direct result of their deals with Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. And the Biden administration plans to announce that it will send $425 million in military aid to Ukraine. According to Reuters, the package will include counter-drone rockets and munitions. From your Ave Maria Radio Dadnet News Desk, I'm Steve Clark. My guest is uh, Rocky Sickman, Senior Vice President of Board Accounts for Fields of Honor, an organization that provides scholarships for the families of fallen and disabled service members. Rocky was among the 52 Americans taken hostage by Iran in 1979. And um, Rocky joined us once before, a few years ago, and I thought it would be a good time to remember that incredibly significant uh, moment back in 1979. Rocky, good to have you back here. Thanks. Al, thank you for having me on the air with you, sir. It's an honor. Well, let's talk a little bit about, just help people understand how you were raised, uh, your decision to go into the Marines, how you were kind of prepared for service. You know, it's a great story. And I grew up in a small town of uh, Crockle, Missouri, a population of 50, and that was dogs and cats included. Out. <laughs> and we, uh, I went to a, a Catholic grade school. Um, and, you know, at that Catholic grade school, I used to raise the flag, and such an honor it was. My father was in World War II, and 
my brother was in during Vietnam, and they had served during the Army, uh, and I wanted to uh, serve our country because, you know, my parents just caught us. Yeah. Uh, you know, love of family, love yeah. of faith, and love of country. Yeah. And so did I realize that those three things would help me uh, to the darkest hours of my life. Yeah. Wait, did you... Uh... Did you expect to be to go to uh, Iran? You know, it was one of those things. Uh, I just graduated, and they had not assigned post. And all of a sudden, a week after my graduation, uh, they uh, it provided me my duty assignment. And so myself, and I think it was like four or five of, of us, uh, basically headed over, and we arrived in uh, Iran October 7th of 1979. Okay. And uh, at that time, uh, Al, we were uh, coming into uh the airport, and we had sea bags on, but carrying, you know, we were in civilian clothes, but we stood out because we had these big old uh, green sea bags, and so <laughs> they were out of it and made us pull out our, uh, our uh, all of our items from our sea bag, which, you know, consisted of your white uh, boxer shorts with your name stamped on them mm-hmm. and all the other stuff, but uh, that was my first encounter. Little did I realize that was uh, the first of many more encounters to come. Wow. So you had uh, less, actually a little less than a month, huh? I did, yeah, yeah. And uh, something that, uh, like you said, you know, 42 years ago, uh, that morning, November 4th, I will never forget it, uh, as I was walking into the motor pool gate. Have you seen the movie, Argo? I have. Yes, I have. So I Twice, I in have. fact. <laughs> yeah. My, my son got to be in the movie, and we could be here all day telling stories. And, uh, you know, that, but... Um, my son got to be in the movie, and I got to speak to the cast. Um, ben Affleck uh, had a, my son and I fly out. I spoke to the cast. They had never uh, spoken to one of the hostages. That's great. The movie, yeah, the movie is about uh, six individuals. Three of them, Al, on the morning of November 4th, I had breakfast with them on November 4th. <laughs> Little did we realize that four hours later, our life would be turned upside down and never the same. And I never knew about it. Uh, the rescue attempt by the Canadians, which I had played tennis against the Canadian ambassador a week earlier. Uh, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Langman, uh, our charge d'affaires, um, a wonderful man. He knew I was a pretty good tennis player because I was playing tennis on a clay court right behind his house every day up to November uh, 4th. And so anyway, two weeks earlier, he asked me would it be his partner. I said, I'd be honored. And he goes, I asked, who do we have to play? He goes, uh, Ken Taylor. And so a week before we were taken, uh, we smoked Ken Taylor and his assistant. And little did we realize, Al, the next week he would rescue our six people, which created the movie Argo. Wow, that's, that's a great story. Did you, when you got up that morning, did you send, was the atmosphere in the city, uh, did you know there was trouble uh, brewing? Yes, absolutely. In fact, two weeks prior, Al, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Shah of Iran had been the dictator, and he fled in January of 1979, and there were 20,000 Americans at that time. By the time I got there in October, there were 65 Americans wow. uh, American embassy. And so weeks, uh, two weeks prior to us being taken, uh, we had had wind that the Shah was going to be allowed into the United States, and it's documented uh, by President Carter that he asked the staff, so if I allow the Shah in, what are you going to say when the Islamic Republic of Iran takes our people hostage? Right. Yep. Think about it. Two weeks later, that's exactly what happened. And that morning, there were demonstrations again. And I had just gotten off the 11 to 7 guard duty. And so I went over and got cleaned up, came over, had breakfast, had breakfast with those three, and went down to the chancery. And I'm walking into the motor pool gate. 
And that's why I said when I saw that movie, Argo, I can remember. I mean, it's just, and Al, you remember, I mean, traumatic times in your life. Mm -hmm. you, you lost your leg in 2003. It's right. something that you don't forget. And here I am walking into that uh, motor pool gate, and all of a sudden I turned, and I will never forget, and I will tell every American, that morning, November 4th, there was nobody, no one at the front gate to provide protection. Wow. I ran back and got into the chancery, and there at that time, seven Marines held that American embassy, that chancery building. It was a 23-acre compound. We couldn't hold the whole compound. Right. That's the, the government's part. We held the chancery for four hours until they broke through the basement window out, and they bring in Iranian women and use them as shields. And I will never forget. That's the second thing I will tell every American. How On November 4th, 1979, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the men used women that had no rights in black chadors and used them as shields, pushing oh. them forward, not quickly, very slowly. And I can tell you, I had my gas mask on. I can, can remember to this day, 42 years later, my gas mask is going from clear to fog, and my finger was on a sawed-off shotgun, and Billy Gallegos is to my right, yep. and two 22-year-old kids in the basement, and we're being screamed, don't fire, don't retaliate, help is on the way, which there was no help coming, but we got to the steps, tear gas popped, we went up and um, basically barricaded our, ourselves behind the door until we were finally told to give ourselves up by uh, Commander-in-Chief, President yeah. Carter. Uh, do you wish you had open fire? You know what? Uh, my wife, and she hates this when I tell her that, but uh, as I sat tied to a chair for the next 30 days, yeah. tied to a chair, Al. I mean, uh, your arms were tied to the arms of the chair, and your feet were tied to the feet of the chair. At night, they would tie your wrist to your ankles, and that's how you slept. But I sat there, and I just regretted, you know, you know, telling myself. You, you had a lot of time to think. And I can tell you, I sat there and just, uh, man, I wish I had that chance to come back. And But there again, I would have been the uh, the loose cannon, the loose Marine that yeah. shot upon Iranians that were told not to. Yeah. But you just wonder what would have happened had we fired upon them. But Although the Iranian men probably would have used the Iranian women and shown the local government, look, they're shooting unarmed innocent women. I know. But they're, they're very good. They know how to negotiate and manipulate this situation. So, um, you know, in turn, we uh, were told to give ourselves up. And But yes, I, I do regret at times uh, not ever pulling that trigger. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, did they single you out uh, as a Marine? You know, um, at the very beginning, yeah, they found out they were scared of all of us. And of course, little did we realize, and I, I didn't know this, but they had basically put charges on all of us out that we were all spies mm. um, there at the American embassy. So that's probably why President Carter eventually did what he did, and that was to put together a rescue operation. Um, I mean, for the first 30 days, you're sitting there. It's 1979, and uh, you're a little bit older than that. I was 57. You're yeah. 51, I believe, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so the Vietnam War it ended in 75, and so my brother was in Vietnam, and he... Uh, when he came home, the you know, first thing he did was took his uniform off because people didn't want to see people in uniform in 75. And here I am, 79, thinking, if nobody cared about the Vietnam veterans, who's going to care about us back home? Because in that corner of the room, and not only at home, but even in that country, in that corner of the room, as you said, tied, you could hear the city of Tehran start in the morning and the traffic built. 
And then all of a sudden, it died down to where it all went to sleep. And that would be day five, day 10, day 20. And you just thought you were forgotten now. And uh, it was very difficult. I I can't really place myself in that situation. You wake up, uh, I I would imagine uh, you expected that uh, this would be remedied fairly quickly. When did you begin to realize that nobody was coming anytime soon? You know, as I sat tied to that chair, I spent my first Thanksgiving, as we all get prepared. Uh, I can tell you, growing up in a small town of Grotto, my, my father was a concrete mixer driver. My mother was a carpet store secretary. There were a total of seven of us in, in the uh, family, and they made the holidays. like uh, It was like being at the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, just celebrating family and good food. And here I, I spent my first Thanksgiving out, and I... I'm sitting there thinking, this is this is how I'm going to end my life. Yeah. And I could just reminisce thinking back of growing up in Krakow and eating the good food and being with camaraderie. And then, of course, Christmas came, and I sat there doing the same thing. I mean, I, I can remember back as far as getting my first little race car set when I was a little <laughs> kid on my head. You know, surprised me with it, and you have that's that's what you had to live yeah. with yeah. was the reminiscing of your past. They were wonderful things, but you finally came to reality probably New Year's Eve of 1979 when humanitarian gesture they did not release us, and you knew you were going to be there for a long time. And they, they then instead of tying us, they put us into a room where I was locked for the next 400 days. So, I mean, I want you to know your listeners to you know. 444 days. We went outside seven times out of 444 days. Oh. I mean, freedom, freedom is not free, and you have no idea. On the morning of November 4th, 1979, the Americans were stripped of freedom, their dignity, dignity and their pride. And, I mean, it was you know, one of those things that we knew then we were going to be there for the long haul. And they told us, until the shawl comes back, do you uh, get released? Were you able to talk with anybody? Yes, it was January of 1980 when we were finally able. There was a guard in our room for about a week, and he sat there just watching us three, and we would just look at each other. The guard would leave, and we would whisper. All of a sudden, he'd come back. Next day, he never came back. And so you then started to you know uh, talk to these other two. Little did we realize, um, I was in the room with Billy Gallegos, another Marine, mm-hmm. uh, that was at the front door and left the door open uh, far enough for me to squeeze in. And Jerry Plotkin was the only American civilian. Jerry was on his way out of the chantry that morning when all of a sudden Billy were, and I closed the door, and he was with Korean. Um, he and his Korean were over to collect a quarter of a million dollars in cash. And in his briefcase, he had a quarter of a million dollars in cash. And he got taken hostage, and of course he was Jewish, which they, you know, yeah. they hated, and they hate, hate Jews, and so they humiliated him. But oh. he was in a room with me for the next uh, 400 days, and yeah, you reminisce and talk about everything. Rocky, hold it there if you don't mind. We've got to take a quick break. We'll come back and continue conversation. My guest, uh, Rocky Sickman, U.S. Marine uh, Sergeant, uh, talking about take, being taken hostage in Tehran. That really was the beginning of the war on terror, although most Americans don't connect the two yet. I'm Al Cresto. Another year has come and gone, and whether you like it or not, Uncle Sam requires you to make an accounting. Perhaps it's time to call Myler and Zipka. They work with you to legally minimize your tax bill and identify ways to reduce future taxes. Eliminate the nagging feeling that you're paying more taxes than you need to. 
Call Ken Zipka today at 734-930-5500. Miler and Zipka, integrity, excellent value, and people dedicated to a long-term relationship. 734-930-5500. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, Joseph Shafransky, who would like to say, Today on my 79th birthday, I'd like to thank my parents, Antony and Parania Shafransky, for the gift of life and for passing down to me my Ukrainian Catholic faith. Happy birthday, Joseph, from all of us here at Ave Maria Radio. If you have a message you want to share, be a day sponsor at 877-288-1077. not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30 plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. In the Bread of Life Discourse, documented in John chapter 6, Jesus states that He is the bread of life, and that His flesh is true food and His blood true drink. The Jews were scandalized in verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus does not back down, but reiterates this teaching four more times over the next four verses. Many left in verse 66 because this teaching was truly difficult. But at no point does Jesus water down his teaching and call them back. No, he allows them to leave, and even questions his twelve apostles if they too wish to leave. Jesus intended to be understood literally, and the Jews, apostles, and the Catholic Church absolutely take him at his word. Examining the truth of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at stanthonyservices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. The militarized Iranian students 
uh, entered and took possession of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. Uh, I'm talking with Rocky Sickman, who was a Marine sergeant there at the time, about his experience. Uh, Rocky, what there, there were reports uh, back then that occasionally there were visits from U.S. clergy. Did you ever get to meet with any of those? Uh, I think one was at Christmas time. I don't remember exactly when. Yes, there was, uh, and uh, I want to back up. Also, you had mentioned something earlier about uh, you know that day of November fourth yeah. is the start of a war on terrorism. And I can tell you, out of the fifty-two hostages, there are thirty-three of us still living. And we will tell you that the war definitely started that day, November fourth. But yes, there were clergy that uh, came. Uh, they're supposed to be with uh, Red Cross, um, and of course they came in and provided this a, uh, a ceremony at Christmas. But nobody knew what it looked like before entering that room. We came down, we were bounded, handcuffed, uh, blindfolded, and they brought us to the door, took it all off, and then they opened the door, and it showed this beautiful room with all this great stuff. And we went in, and obviously they uh, sat there, and uh, we tried to have a ceremony, and obviously they sat between us. And uh-huh. it was one of those things that it was a big show. Um, because uh, I showed that they were trying to be humanitarian and everything. I can tell you, after we left that room, we we were given something to eat. We left that room, and they took it from our hands and handcuffed us and blindfolded us and took us back. Oh. And so again, they, they know how to manipulate and make it look like they're really good people. And so that hatred, it, it started then, and, and it carried through the whole 444 days. Wow. Uh, um when you look back at uh, President Carter uh, uh, at that time, uh, how do you regard him today? You know, President Carter, a wonderful man, little did I realize that uh, each month for 14 months, uh, the Marines, uh, being a Marine, I'm very proud of the Marines. They took care of their own. Yeah. Uh, they would go out to Krakow, uh, in which was about 80 miles from St. Louis, pick up my parents, drive them into St. Louis, put them on an airplane, fly them to D.C., where two other Marines would pick them up and take them to a visit uh, to Jimmy Carter, President Carter, at that point in time. And I didn't know this, that he did this for 14 months. So he was a very, personally, a good man, but obviously Iran just, you know, manipulated and humiliated. And Iran just didn't do it to President Carter. And this isn't about... Democrats or Republicans, right. they did it because they hated our government. Mm-hmm. And right after they released us of $8.3 billion that we paid, they killed 240 millions in President Reagan's watch. And so it's just gone on and on and on. And again, it goes back. That's why I kind of wish I would have pulled the trigger at the end of November 4th. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you, you kind of wonder what circums- what would have flowed from that if uh, for some reason we had just said no. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not coming in. Trust me. Now, you have no idea, as you sat there, I mean, morning, noon, and night, um, I was doing 600 sit-ups, 300 push-ups a day, walking back and forth, Billy and Jerry and I, sitting there telling one story, telling it over, telling it a (laughs) hundred times. But you just wish that the day would end. You wish that they would just drop the bomb um, and just, you know, wipe wipe us all out. Yeah. Uh, and start all over because I, I wanted them to feel the pain that we were feeling. And again, it does hurt because I, from 42 years, they've never been held accountable. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, there was some discussion of the hostages receiving compensation. Whatever became of that? 
uh, you know, it's not happened yet. Well, I can tell you, we probably received, uh, we were supposed to have received $10,000 uh, for every day that we were there, but uh, that was back in 2015 that was approved. Um, but we have maybe received 1% uh, of that, and uh, so <laughs> we're still waiting. Uh, you know, obviously, we continue to give money to Iran, sure. um, be our friend. And so I'm a true believer, you know what, before we do anything with Iran, number one, they have to stop the, the teaching of hatred. I'm a true believer, Al, that a Muslim is not born with hatred. Right. They are taught hatred. And like I said, look it up. There's a, there's a story right here on USA Today that they're showing uh, young children burning the American flag chanting death to America. They've never met an American, but here they are teaching it. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things... Iran and any other country needs to understand if you take Americans hostage from the U.S. Embassy, you you will pay. And But we've never made them pay. And so why wouldn't they continue to take a Vietnamese cargo ship last week and hold them hostage? Well, they know that if you take hostages, they're going to get paid. Yeah. And so there's They've never been held accountable. It's very sad. You've got five children. Yeah. And think about it. If you let your kids just do what they want, they're going to get out of control, and then eventually you can't ever bring them back. Right. And that's right. that's where we're at now. Iran's to the point that they're so arrogant. Uh, they don't care. They know that our government changes every four to eight years. Yeah. They just got to stretch it out until that person is gone, and the next one comes in and makes them believe that we're yeah. going to we're going to change. Yeah. And I call it bull. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> no, I it, they do, and they they sit it out because they assume that uh, because we have changing administrations here, that they can then buy time with the next administration and, and manipulate. Uh, Manipulate policy. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, real quick. No, uh, go ahead. Isn't it interesting that 800 cities out of 1,200 uh, are uh, demonstrating and promoting this day? Here in the U.S., nobody even covers yeah, it. Yeah, it's not even I a mean, story. Yeah. I know. How can And we want to be our, their friends? I mean, it's like, get the heck out of here. I mean, yeah. you've got to change your, your process before we want to even be your friend. And so... It's, I've got some you know, concerns with the way that we're dealing with Iran. Generally, the American people don't spend a lot of time following foreign news, you know? That's part of the problem, is that the, 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 the media, you know, it, it doesn't see the coverage of these stories as something the American people are interested in. It drives me nuts. I, I agree with you that I want to see. I want to have a good, I want to see what I can about other nations, other lands. I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know what they sing to, you know. I want to know yeah. how they regard us. But they, uh, it is a yeah, problem. The Mullahs have been in power since 1979, and that radical belief has been there since. I mean, some of the individuals that held this are in the political power. Our government changes every 48 years, and we bring in people that have forgotten about history. And remember, why is it we're so upset with Iran we need to be their friends. Well, again, let's look back in history. So yeah. you're absolutely right. I do yeah. agree. Uh, you were, I'm trying to remember, you were married when you came back home? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. How, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> no, it, it was. I can tell you, my first 30 days, did you see the movie Castaway? No. Uh, actually, I, I don't. I, I saw part of it. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember very well. I remember the the, the uh, volleyball. 
Yeah, well, he was stranded on an island, and he had a locket of his girlfriend, um, and they were, he was supposed to give her a ring, all this other stuff. And Joel, which was my girlfriend, then uh, we said, hey, I'm going to do this. Uh, it's going to be three years. We were so young. I was 22. She was 18. <laughs> I know. And, you know, we were going to do our thing, and then if everything worked out, get together. The first 30 days, I can tell you, her, I didn't have a locket, but I had her picture embedded in my head. And I just told myself, you know, if I can make it out of here, because um, I can tell you, the first 30 days, in addition to the other 400 and some days, you didn't know if you were going to live and die morning, noon, or night. But <sighs> anyway, uh, she was my icon. I used her as my stepping stone. Sure enough, I made my first phone call when I got home, talked to my dad mom, and they said, Rocky Jill's here. And I said, she waited. And my dad goes, well, she wants to talk to you. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that didn't sound good. Is she married or getting ready to get married or what? <laughs> she gets on the phone uh, and we start talking. She goes, Rocky, you got to make a decision, either me or the military, but I can't do this. I waited 444 days, but I just can't do this. And so I understood what she was coming from. And I've been in the service six years. And so um, I got out, but I still missed that military camaraderie. And I got involved with uh, Budweiser and became the director of military sales. And um, uh, you know, I was able to you know, travel around the country, sell a beer to the military. Yeah. Now, Jill and I just recently celebrated our 40th anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. Now, thank, yeah, thank you. And she, she was my icon. And I came home and I found out that eight people, eight people lost their lives. Their life for my life, and that rescue on uh, April 25th, 1980. And, oh, I've got uh, three children, and I've got four grandchildren. Those eight individuals would never again go fishing with their son, yeah. go kick a soccer ball, go lacrosse, and go to a school dance with their daughter, um, walk their daughter down the aisle. They'd never be able to hold, hold their grandchildren. And I've been able to do that. Um, after these individuals lost their life. And that's where Folds of Honor comes in. Folds of Honor provides scholarships to families of fallen and disabled military. And that's my... Folds of Honor has really been a therapeutic piece for me. For every morning I wake up where many of my colleagues had difficulty uh, times, you know, after they came back. And and with Folds of Honor, it's really helped me. Uh, Each morning I think of those eight that sacrificed uh, the ultimate sacrifice, their life. And so shame on me if I don't tell their story. Yeah. So you've been able to, I mean, it's really quite amazing, isn't it, that you've you've been able to take that horrendous experience and actually turn it uh, to serve others in some way. Uh, I'm not sure how many of the hostages were able to do that. Uh, You know, I can tell you when I first came home, uh, the Marines, we were young, arrogant, naive, you know. And a psychiatrist told us that there's going to be two ways that you're going to deal with this. One way you're going to keep it inside this whole past, but something's going to cause you to break during your next year of your life. But the other way is to use it as a stepping stone. And, you know, I read uh, Jerry Plotkin. He was Jewish, but he was reading the Bible one day while we were held at the American Embassy. And he, he said, hey, listen to this one. And it was uh, it was a phrase of stating, go home and tell these uh, your people what these people have done to you. And here I am, huh. 42 years later, yep. I'm sitting here doing just like what Jerry had mentioned while reading the Bible. And so it is, it's one of those things of what happened to me. 
Um, but we should never forget that freedom's not free and that, you know, the military, they're out there. I never did I ever think that the United States would attempt to try to rescue 65, because, again, 65 people died the first minute of the Vietnam War. Right. Who knew about them? Who, who cared about them? And so it was tough. Rocky, wonderful talking with you again. And uh, tell people how they can stay in touch with your work there at Fields of Honor. Yep, fieldsofhonor.org. Uh, they can get out there and find some ways to uh, donate, and, uh, make, do a marathon, golf marathon, or just to donate to our squad. So thanks again, Al. Yeah, we'll talk again. Thanks, Rocky. Roger that, sir. We'll have it linked at our site as well, so you can take a look at the work. Just a remarkable story. Historic Sweetest Heart of Mary Church presents A Day with the Saints on Sunday, November 5th from 1.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon. Please join us to venerate over 100 first-class relics, including the True Cross, Holy Manger, Mary's Veil, and many more. The church is located in Detroit at the corner of Russell and Canfield, just north of Eastern Market. For more information, please see the Mother of Divine Mercy Facebook page or visit motherofdivinemercy.org. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, Getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. This program brought to you by the following nonprofit company. From Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. You are in danger, Mary. This child, what is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem, starring Fiona Palomo, Milo Mannheim, Lecrae, Joel Smallbone, and Antonio Banderas. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere, November 10th. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Ever thought you'd make a bundle by trading in or selling your used vehicle only to find out it's worth a dinner for two? Well, it's much more valuable to donate your vehicle to Ave Maria Radio. Thousands of Americans donate their vehicle each year. The donation to Ave Maria is easy, tax-deductible, and supports our efforts to evangelize. A year from now, will you remember that dinner or your gracious and selfless donation? Go to AveMariaRadio.net to find out more. That's AveMariaRadio.net. Light of the East, weekends on Ave Maria Radio. I am Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, I hear the echoes of the coming Christmas season, and it presents us with not only a spirit of gift, but also of saints and angels to focus upon in our preparation. Now on Ave Maria Radio's newest FM stations, 105.5 FM in Southfield and 107.9 FM in Ann Arbor. 
This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Good afternoon. I'm Al Crescent. We celebrate the life and appeal to the intercession of St. Charles Borromeo. Uh, He is one of those outstanding figures of our past that the truth is we don't know what, I mean, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about him. He was an outstanding reformer around the time of the Council of Trent. And I thought we really ought to spend a little bit of time taking a look at what he accomplished, the church as he faced it at that time, and what he did to bring it into reform. My guest is uh, William Duino. He is a contributor to Inside the Vatican Magazine and many other publications. Bill writes about religion, history, politics uh, quite frequently. He contributed uh, an extensive bibliography of works on Pius XII to the book The Pious War, Responses to the Critics of Pius XII. And Bill, it's good to have you back here. Thanks. Uh, Thank you so much, Al, for having me back, uh, especially after we celebrated St. John uh, the 23rd's feast, and now uh, we're going to celebrate one of St. John the 23rd's heroes, St. Charles Barmero. That is true. That's right. Uh, He writes about uh, that in Journal of a Soul. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the setting uh, for his life. He was born into nobility, right? Uh, he certainly was. It yeah. was the sixth, early 16th century, so we're talking around 1538. Now, at the time, the church was in, uh, shall we say, deep confusion and even corruption. Mm-hmm. And it would have been very easily. He was, he was born into wealth, and um, today he might be termed, you know, uh, at, at least when he was born, not later on, you know, I... Um, a trust fund baby, as they call them. Yeah. Okay, he. They. It was set up for him to live a luxurious, li- luxurious life, and to you know live a kind of um, uh, live in, in, in indulgence and, and and wealth and so on for the rest of his life. But he chose not to do that. He chose the narrow path, which so many did not in his day. And even though he could have easily become uh, among the ranks of the corrupt in that Renaissance era clergy, when there was so much sin and disrepute and so forth. Uh, he turned he turned the whole situation around, and he told his uh, fathers and his parents and his relatives, uh, all of whom were rather attached to the world, that he wanted to uh, become a dedicated servant of Christ. Which and he did, and they even they recognized it. And he he was so impressive at a young age that at the age of I believe it was 22, uh, he, by that time he'd become a young lawyer and a canonist. His uncle had been elected pope. Pius the Fourth, and at the age of 22, incredibly, he was he got his uncle, the Pope, 
to revive the uh, Council of Trent. It had started much earlier, but it had all sorts of interruptions and so forth. And during the last section, it was St. Charles Borromeo, more than anyone, who, more than the Pope himself, one can actually say, that you know, got the organized effort to get all of the now famous um, decrees of the Council through. And then right afterwards, it was he who helped promote the famous Council of the, uh, the, uh, the Catechism of the Council of Trent, the so-called Roman Catechism. And he was, I think he was about 25 at the time. Also about at that time, I mean, he was ordained during the, count, during the uh, last session of the Council of Trent. He became also the Cardinal Archbishop of Milan. Uh-huh. Now, the amazing thing about that was at the time, Milan was uh, the, the largest archdiocese in Italy, except for the fact that it also became one of the most you know, corrupt, and it was nearly in ruins, because for 80 years it had not had an archbishop, even though it had 3,000 clergy and 800,000 people. So it desperately needed to be saved. And who, they, who, who comes in as, as the man to, uh, on this heroic effort of reform? It's St. Charles Borromeo. And what he did in just you know, a short time, because he died, to skip ahead from him, he only did, I think he was only 46, but what he did as the Cardinal Archbishop of Milan is absolutely amazing. And by the way, it, was, it is so amazing what he did to turn around this you know, distraught, uh, in ruins diocese, that's why St. John XXIII wrote no less than five volumes about St. Charles Borromeo's holiness and all the successful implements he did, uh, successful reforms he implemented to turn around this diocese. So he, and, and what was important about that is that St. John XXIII recognized St. Charles Borromeo as a very contemporary, timeless figure. And he wanted his insights, Borromeo's, to, uh, to be applied to the Second Vatican Council and afterwards. Huh. Now, to say that we have fallen short of <laughs> Barmeo's standards, it would be an understatement. But nonetheless, just to sum up some of the things that he did, because you asked me about his accomplishments, I wrote something about him in 2017 uh, for First Things, entitled St. Charles Barmeo, Model Bishop, Holy Reformer. And anyone can look it up and Google it. But I just want to read just a couple of sentences from it. Sure. I said, uh, at the time he was appointed the Archbishop Cardinal Archbishop of Milan, Many religious and laity had fallen in the church, and many who remained were corrupt or wayward. Barmeo was undaunted. With a cheerfulness and determination that astonished his contemporaries, he traveled up and down his diocese, enacting vigorous reforms in line with Trent and the Roman Catechism. He convoked six provincial and eleven diocesan synods, founded seminaries to educate a new generation of priests, established hospitals, and set aside his large inheritance for the needs of the poor. He also renewed religious life, and started a new congregation of secular priests, the Oblates. And then in 1576, when a plague struck Milan, many of the healthy fled, but Borromeo remained in the city, visiting the stricken and comforting the dying, and in one extraordinary episode that has become legendary, he climbed on top of a stack of corpses to give the last rites to a man who was still breathing and begging for the sacraments. Wow. So this is the man. Wow. Holy, he was truly what I call a full-dimensional Catholic, not someone who cherry-picked the teachings or who was sometimes good and sometimes bad. I mean, every ounce of his life he put in to reforming the church and living a holy, chaste, and moral life. And, you know, this, I think that's one of the reasons he died so young, because he gave every ounce of himself to the Lord and to the church and to uh, all the Catholics uh, for, for the salvation of the souls. I just, there's, there's a few people in the church 
that I can speak of more highly and in uh, St. Charles Borromeo. Yeah. Uh, I hope more people learn more about him because yeah. he's really an incredible figure. No, I, I agree. When you take the stands that he took, when you're uh, that uh, assertive in living out the faith, you're going to make people uncomfortable, some people uncomfortable anyways. Absolutely. Uh, were there vested interests that fought back oh. against him? Oh, not only were there vested interests, you know, we talk about today about, um, you know, the secular press and the descending uh, elements of the church attacking good, holy bishops and, and priests and leaders in the church, uh, including sometimes, it must be said, Pope Francis himself, sure. when he's trying to make a good point. They do not like it when he speaks out uh, with force and fierceness against abortion, against gender ideology, against immorality and hypocrisy and so forth. Um, and the same was true in St. Charles Borromeo's time. And he was actually threatened uh, and uh, he almost was assassinated by uh, some very corrupt figures. So, but he, he didn't allow that to discourage him. He went on with his work to revive and regenerate Milan, which he succeeded. And the Lord, uh, he, he, he helped uh, people along the way to live honest, God-fearing lives. And he didn't allow any of these... Um, uh, these threats against his life to, to deter him one minute, one inch. And so, you know, he was an extreme. He, he, he was a true disciple of Christ because he did not fear the world. And he knew that in the long run, it was only Almighty God and Jesus Christ would have to face. And, you know, when we see today bishops that say, and there are a few of them, do, do say this, I have to speak, I have to act not only on behalf of the church and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and his church, I have to act on behalf of myself and try to save my own soul because God's going to hold me responsible as well, yeah. uh, as well as uh, the people's souls that I'm ministering to. So that was his opinion as well. If we withdraw and we, you know, into our own sort of like uh, private uh, supposed piety, we're not doing the Lord's job. Right. We have to spread and evangelize the gospel with fearlessness. And that's what St. Charles Borromeo did. Um, what did, uh, can you tell me what he did to help uh, laity uh, get formed? Oh, well, what, well, what he did, the most important thing he did is that he organized and he restructured the church because no one knew where to look in those days. And there was still, uh, don't forget, this was coming out uh, right when the Protestant Revolution was coming out. And so uh, he, 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 um, he worked and reframed the whole uh, issues that were going on in the church, and he gave the people, what they desperately needed, he gave them moral clarity. And he taught them three things. First, that the role of the faithful uh, bishop, uh, the role of a faithful bishop is not to accommodate or enable sin, uh, but to teach the faithful what is right and wrong. So he established that there is a hierarchy and, yeah. you know, there's a difference between a, a Catholic leader and a lady, which is not in any way to put down the lady because the yeah. lady is called the holiness too. Right. But he made that crystal clear because people are trying to merge the two together. The second, And that, I think, uh, inspired many of the lady because they need leadership. Yeah. Uh, you know, the second thing he did that uh, he knew that all reforms began and begin with the individual's heart. You know, we can talk about reform from here till the cows come home, but unless we ourselves, on an individual basis, transform ourselves and become holy people ourselves, there's not going to be any reform to talk about, okay? Because reform ultimately comes down to the individual. So people talk about these grand things about reforming the church and changing the church. <laughs> None of that's going to stick unless individuals are holy. Yeah. And the final thing he did uh, is to, is to uh, exhort people and warn them about the monumental difference between true reform, orthodoxy and holiness, and false reform, about which, for example, I, in, in Germany, where they're blessing all sorts of immoral situations, 
um, and know the difference between the difference between uh, true reform and false reform is literally, in his opinion, and the opinion of all the saints, I believe, um, between heaven and hell. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a good way of putting it. It's a good way of putting it. Uh, you mentioned earlier that he died fairly young, 46 years old. Uh, do we know what the ailment was? Uh, no, I think it was just a matter of just, you know, um, uh, I don't think there was any, it may have been, you know, there was a plague. It may have been he caught some of that, and but it may have been just exhaustion. And in those days, they didn't have quite the medical capacities or anything nearer to him that, that, that we do today. But I just think it was just a sheer exhaustion and his dedication and his overwork. But, but, you know, he died for the Lord right until the very yeah. last inch. And incidentally, there has, the great news is that for the, just a few years ago, there was published for the first time in English uh, a book called Charles Borromeo, his orations, his homilies, and his writings. You anticipated really, my next question. <laughs> oh, yes, because I, if, if anyone wants to go and see what a holy man is, uh, this, uh, he was, I would highly recommend you, you look it up. It's simply called Charles Borromeo, Selected Orations, Homilies, and Writings, uh, edited by Monsignor John Sihak, C-I-H-A-K. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's the book. And one of the things to talk about how contemporary it was that he speaks about repeatedly is about the worthiness to receive Holy Communion. How hot a topic is that these days? Um, <laughs> He's right. And, yeah. and he, I'll just give you a couple of quotes. He said, the people should not only be urged to receive Holy Communion frequently, he said, but also told how, and taught how dangerous and fatal it is it would be to approach the sacred table of divine food unworthily. And again, he goes on, the most holy Eucharist is properly a sacrament of the living. It requires, therefore, that those who receive it be spiritually li- living, for it was instituted for the sake of sustaining and increasing life. Therefore, he who remains in death, who is in mortal sin, should stay far from the table. Let him first hasten to, li- to life, to penance, and then... For the sacrament of confession is so. The, for, for the sacrament of confession is the first and necessary disposition for the Eucharist. So he's laying down the law there, and he's saying, "Do not approach the Holy Eucharist unless you are in a state of grace. Go to confession first, repent, make a firm purpose of amendment." How often do we hear that these days? Not often. Not yeah. often enough. In Tret, so true. Well, thanks so much. Wonderful talking to you again, and uh, really do appreciate the profile of St. Charles Borromeo, model bishop, uh, holy reformer, and uh, mention once again the the volume in English, so we can read some of it. Oh, yes, that is, in, is called Charles Borromeo, Selected Orations, comma, Homilies and Writings, edited by Monsignor John Seahack, or Chihack, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. C-I-H-A-K, look it up on Amazon, um, just type in Charles Borromeo, his homilies and writings, and I'm sure you'll find it on Amazon it, yeah. by Monsignor That's the one to read, okay? All Thanks right, so Bill. much for having me on. Now. Yeah, love talking to you. Again, yeah. Bill Duino will have uh, his First Things piece available for you and some other follow-up information, too, on St. Charles Borromeo. Beacon Skin and Surgeries is a comprehensive dermatology center on the border of Troy and Rochester Hills, south of M59 and in Livonia. Beacon Skin and Surgeries perform full skin exams and focus on the diagnosis and treatment of all types of skin cancer and precancerous lesions. All are board certified dermatologists and fellowship trained surgeons. Call 248-852-1900. Beacon Skin and Surgeries, a beacon for patient care. 248-852-1900. Welcome to an Advanced Dentistry Center family. This is Dr. Metti and our team strives to treat you like family in a loving and compassionate way as we focus on serving you in a Christ-like manner. 
We do this by emphasizing prevention and general well-being for a lifetime. Our private practice is small, personal, state-of-the-art, and innovative, with the goal to educate and motivate our patients in improving their oral health. It is through a partnership with you that you will achieve the goals for your smile. Advanced Dentistry is serious about the level of care we provide with attention to details and an exceptional level of care, skill, and judgment. We are thrilled for the opportunity to serve you. Dr. Matthew and the team invite you to visit them at AdvancedDentistryCenter.com or call them at 248-594-9592. That's 248-594-9592. AdvancedDentistryCenter.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Well, thank you so much. Uh, great being with you. And let me remind you that you can follow up on all of our conversations by going to AveMariaRadio.net. That's AveMariaRadio.net. We'll have some of um, Mona uh, Charon's columns there. Uh, we'll also have uh, the, column, uh, the column that was written by um, uh, Ronan Chevelle. Uh, so we'll have that there. We'll have information on St. Charles Borromeo. We'll have follow-up information on uh, the Marine Corps Guard Rocky Sickman from his experience as a hostage for 444 days in captivity uh, in Iran. So take advantage of the extra resources that are there. Uh, it may well be that October 7th is one of those watershed moments, like 9-11, like the bombing of Pearl Harbor. We'll see. But remember who we represent. We do represent the Prince of Peace. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net. <laughs>